There's one thing I want you to do for me. What? Come here. Win. Win. Liberty and Baron Dining. What up, Mary? How you doing today? All right. Good, good. I was calling because uh, today is my lucky day. I have just signed a contract with an NBA team. So I would like y'all to be my personal bail bonds. I'm going to give y'all lots of business. <laughs> so I'm getting ready to, to uh, get into a couple things. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Um, I got a temper. So sometimes uh, sometimes I smack hoes. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't agree with that. But sometimes they get out of line, and and I do do it. So what's it cost for like smacking somebody? Like I said, it's up to the judge. Okay, but like uh, the lowest is a hundred, and the highest, who knows where it can go. You can get away with smacking somebody upside their head for a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Man, that's it tight. It depends on the judge. Okay, what judge you recommend if you smack somebody? Uh, <laughs> whatever court they put you in. <laughs> Well, you know, it it really ain't about the price. Uh, what's your name again, girl? Angela. Angela. Okay. Do y'all represent any kind of crime? Yes, sir. Because now that I got all this money, I really don't care about laws or nothing. You know, I figure I can get out of almost anything. Eventually. You know, I just need somebody <laughs> to get me out of jail. And then if it's bad enough, you know, I figure if O.J. Simpson can go around uh, killing folks, you know, I can too. I'm a better athlete than OJ, and OJ, to be honest with you. He ain't got nothing on me. I'd like to get his old ass on the on the basketball court. You know, I'd break his ankles. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's about it. But I really appreciate your time today, Angela. Can you come bail me out personally? Oh, uh, yeah. I'm a bouncer. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now we're talking, girl. We're going to do this. <laughs> All right, then. I'll be, I'll be calling you soon, because after I sign this contract tonight, there's a couple of people I'm going to go smack right in their mouth. Oh, my God. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We going to do this, girl. I look forward to meeting you, Angela. All right. All right, girl. God bless. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tim Gaither Podcast, episode 14. Uh, back in studio this week. Uh, apologize about last week. That won't be happening uh, very often, if ever again. Hopefully not. And uh, yeah, so here we are. That was my bail bondsman prank. And uh, it's like old Tiger Woods didn't even need a uh, bail bondsman. He walked down in his own recognizance. With the DUI, with the uh, without non-alcoholic, it was with pres- prescription medication. Is that? Yeah. Um, I, well, I read the thing. The thing I read today said that he blew a zero point zero zero, like there was no alcohol in his system. But he said that he was taking medication and he took them together, and they messed him up. And he was driving, and he had to pull over because it kicked his ass. And from what I read, um, I don't know. It sounds pretty feasible. I don't know. The guy could, you could take medication and shit these days, man, they will prescribe you anything. And in the wrong combinations, probably, you know, doctors aren't perfect. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going off the rails. I don't know what he was taking or any of that shit, but, um, you know, it sounds feasible. And even if it's not, um, God, people make mistakes, don't they? 
Well, you know, yeah, right. And people have demons, you know. People are like, well, he's best, this and that. And best I'm things like, I saw on the uh, internet was was uh, God forbid you mess up in 2017. Oh, my little Facebook thing. God forbid. God help the poor bastard who makes a mistake in 2017. That's what I said. Yeah. Well yeah. put. I mean, it's simply simple as that. You make one mistake. There's such a magnifying glass. Yeah. And especially on. Well, I mean, if you're in any sort of public yeah. figure, in some cases, it's. People's attempt to become relevant again. Right. Probably, not, probably not in Tiger. He hasn't really been relevant since it was 2009. That's when is that the last time that, he won something major? That's when the car incident happened oh, with the golf club. Okay. That was eight years ago. He hasn't done well in golf since then. Uh, not really. And I guess in the last five or six years, he's had four major back surgeries. He's okay. had to withdraw from like 19 out of 26 tournaments or something like that. It, it hasn't been good. Yeah, but. Luckily, the first, what was that, the, the, the 13 years of his career were the best of any 13 years well, ever. And I don't know shit about golf, but isn't 41 kind of young for a golfer? No, uh, you'll occasionally get like a, a Phil Mickelson or like, uh, to use a Kansas City guy, you know, uh, not Jack Nicholas, but uh, Tom, yeah, uh, Tom, Tom Watson. Watson yeah. You know, yeah. you'll have these, or John Daly recently, you'll have these guys that are 50s, because it is a skill game. If you can right. drop a golf ball... In a trash can from 200 yards out. That's a just, skill, sure. Yeah, you know, and so if you're old and fat, whatever. You know, you still I got love that. John Daly because couldn't he, like, not even – I read a Sports Illustrated thing, like, he couldn't even play that well unless he was half-tanked. Well, <laughs> at, the, at the beginning – And when he quit drinking, he was, like, sucked for a while. And, uh, yeah, that was a thing where he – he was like, look, I was more relaxed if I had had five beers, yeah. you know, and God forbid I was playing really well. Then I was like, well, let's go with six, you yeah. know, and, uh, which obviously <laughs> became a problem for him in his life. Yeah. Uh, there's a great uh, ESPN 30 for 30 on that. It's like Patrice O'Neal told me one night when I was working him at the Houston Improv and he told me he's, he was talking about drinking and going on stage. And he was like, I had a really good set one night drinking. And I realized, well, I can't just be drunk all the time. I've got to figure out how to do that without doing that, you know. And uh, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. And too bad he passed away as young as he did. Talk about a funny motherfucker. And God, he was big, dude. Did you ever see Patrice in person? I can't say that I did. Man, when I walked into the green room, I was shocked at how big a man he was. I mean, he could play line in any NFL team. <laughs> Period. So you're talking he was like a 280, big. 300, Oh, dude, I bet two. Patrice was, I bet he was over three. I bet he was probably three, I have no idea, 330 maybe, and then like six, 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 seven. I mean, just a, I mean, at least he seemed that way to me because I'm five, seven in good shoes. He seemed just fucking ginormous. Like he was in the, in the, he took up the entire doorway. Big enough that it left, left a lasting yeah. over, what was that, like mid Ots, oh five, oh four, oh seven. Gosh, I guess it's probably been already ten years, eight, eight to ten years since I since then. I don't know how long he's been gone now, but I, f- I don't know. Yeah, five. And he or... told me I had some good stuff. There's a few people that it means a lot more from you know, and he's one of them. Patrice O'Neill told me I had some good stuff. Greg Giraldo told me I had some good stuff. A lot of famous dead comedians really like my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It goes along. What years ago? It was right after. Bill Bird just moved to L.A. and not that people didn't, like didn't know anybody, but working a lot at the comedy store, people come in and then you know you talk to them, small talk, and uh, 
he was no nice guy and what I wasn't really in the best place in my comedy career at that point you yeah. know I was at the point where I would say half the time I was having decent shows and maybe every once in a while someone would say hey that was great good show yeah because when you worked a lot in the back door luckily one of the perks was is that after the show everyone that you just performed for walked right by you yeah so if you ate it these people, oh, yeah. like you, you don't know how quickly someone can look down at their feet when they see the comic that they didn't like on stage earlier. Yeah, <laughs> when they make eye contact with you and it goes straight to their toes, you're like, oh, there's my biggest fan right there. Right. But uh, <laughs> I was getting it was it was bad. It was a bad it was a bad moment uh, period in my career. But I had what I thought were some good jokes. But one night I had gone on stage in the OR potluck, but Bill came out back and he was like, man, I really like that. That was really good. I like, you know, da 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 da. Yeah. I was like, oh shit, okay. Well, if, you know, if, if that that's a stamp of approval right. that I would really, you know, holds a lot of weight. And sure. It kind of got me out of a little funk that I was in. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes that's uh, that's all you need. Somebody saying something like that. You got some really good stuff. And then how was how were the uh, how were the responses after the Syracuse shows this past weekend? Uh, I had a great time there, man. It's a really good comedy room. Uh, it's big. It's beautiful. Seats close to 400. Um, Sunday was awesome because it was the day before Memorial Day, so it was packed. It was probably the best show of the week, and uh, I, I did some new stuff that worked really well, and uh, it was fun, man. I got you know, it, it's one of those clubs where I'm like, man, all I really want, I, I, all I want to do is work 25, 30 weeks of those of clubs like I just did you know make the kind of money i made and had the kind of crowds and all that and i'm not greedy that's all i want just you know yeah yeah just packed rooms and well, yeah i mean you know close i mean to eight, sold out and 18 years yeah you think you could have six decent shows and make some decent money and have a good have a good time you know isn't that kind of shouldn't i god damn it well you know look <laughs> Coming up, this you got a good summer coming when up. When I first started out, let me tell you this story real quick. There was a guy, and I want to say his name because maybe he's still around, and I hope he's doing well. But we were doing this shitty one-nighter, and I had just started doing comedy. And he came in, and, he, and he, you could tell he'd like been kind of living in his car. And for some reason, I knew he would make, was making 175 bucks, And he was like 50 years old, and you could smell alcohol on his breath. And uh, an orange juice, you know, because he was drinking like screwdrivers and his clothes were all rumpled. And he just looked fucking miserable. And I thought to myself, that's the goal. Don't get like that, dude. You know, because then you might as well be working at McDonald's if that's how you're doing it. You know, yeah. if you're just going from shit gig to shit gig, staying in shit hotel. I think we had like a, this guy had been doing comedy over 20 years. And we were, had, we were performing with like a, a Mr. Microphone. You know, <laughs> like literally like speaking spell. Oh, dude, like, like you couldn't go too far, or the fucking mic cord would pop off. <laughs> this is—I mean, this is the stuff, people. That you have to—you have to do these shows, though, when you're starting out as a comedian. Shit, sometimes you still have to do. That them. is very true. I mean, uh, yeah, I was at, i was in the dark for 35 minutes at Stanford and Sons last month. They're just in yeah, darkness. You it know, happens, man. Talking. Uh, and, and shows like I just did at the Syracuse Funny Bone, those are the reward for doing all that kind of bullshit. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. How long have we done, John? Oh, no, no, no. We're good. We're good. We'll get into Joe here uh, in, a, in a second. Talk about our guest this week. Oh, well, I wanted to say something about uh, that 
Oh, Joe Caronia is a good buddy of mine. We're going to have him on in a few minutes. Uh, he started out in Kansas City uh, in 88, so 10 years before I did, 11 years before I did, and ran the open mic and always had great advice for me and just a good dude. And uh, and he's a great actor, and we're going to have him on here in a little while. Um, Justin told me something this weekend. Uh, something we said a minute ago made me think about this. Um have you heard about that Cash Me Outside girl or whatever? Yes, yeah, yeah. Made famous by like Maury Povich. Or she went on Doctor Phil. That's Doctor Phil, yeah. and she is just this fourteen-year-old idiot. And, and, and you know, she she talks. I just don't get it. She's just this smart-ass, trashy teenager, and her catchphrase or she said to somebody i think she said catch me outside it's catch me outside and then dr phil goes what does catch me out what, 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 what did she say me what is that and the mom goes she's saying that if you <laughs> go outside right now she's gonna beat you up so this lady has this this girl has nine million instagram followers for saying catch me outside how about that that's what she said that is what she said. She's now bigger than the Dr. <laughs> Phil show itself. And they are paying her like some some places are paying her like $50,000 and seven, $750 a day per diem and all these ridiculous demands. And I'm like, what are you doing? Even if there's a market for it. It's just so sad to me that there's even a, that there's nine million people that you know, and it's not just like a bitter place. Like you see a lot of good stand-up clips, not just from me, but from a lot of comics. You, anybody, and they'll have like a few hundred views, or if they're you know like eleven hundred, yeah, yeah, yeah. If they're if they're a bigger name, they'll have a few thousand or whatever. But it's still not that big a deal. And then this bitch comes along, and it'd be one thing if she wasn't making any money, but she's getting. Tons of money. And she's 15, so you're like, why is she, how does she even allow in the night, these nightclubs to promote And it's like, what are we, what are we, what what, is talent a thing anymore? Like, what the fuck is going on? The bar is so low right now. What the, it's like people don't know when they see something good. I I just, I don't get it. I don't want to spend too much time on her, and I certainly don't want to promote the bitch on my podcast, which I guess I already did, but you know what, if you want to be a fan of her, uh, that's fine. I, that just, I know um, there's certain people I don't want at my shows. <laughs> and if you like that broad, then I don't give a shit. I, you if know, you I ever think, come see me do stand-up, yeah, I just I don't. Mean, <laughs> so. Even if it's funny, like, oh, look, I'm watching this because this girl's, but yeah. it's. But what you can do, you can go to makingithappen.com before we go to Joe's interview. You go to makingithappen.com, right? M-A-C. M-A-C-A-N, ithappen.com. Yep, have a little bow making out. Let's get him a pool. Yeah. You know, summer's here. It's, you know, it's going to be it's hot. the only activity little Bo can really do is a, is a pool. Sorry to interrupt you. No, 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 no. Yeah. And then uh, another, some summer activities for you listeners. If you're in Des Moines, that's the Funny Bone in um, Des Moines, Iowa. That's June 8th through the 10th. Uh, coming up here, Laugh Factory, Las Vegas. That's June 12th through the 18th. Uh, July 5th through the 8th up in Seattle. July 14th through the 15th. Blue Room, Springfield, Missouri. Just go to TimGaitherComedy.com for some of those, uh, for the rest of those dates. Yeah. June and July, I think every week I'm somewhere. So uh, check it out. And uh, we'll be right back after break here with Joe Caronia.
you know, I was, first of all, I'm so bad with faces and names that if I did, I am sorry, I don't remember, but you know, that's the weird thing. I've been listening to the podcast and I'm going, you know, we know the same people, so I don't know how the hell we didn't meet. Well, I was briefly in the open mic scene from like for, it was 2001 summer for maybe 10, 10 times. And then a couple of other times uh, over the next couple, few years. So maybe a total of 20 open mics at Stanford's. And then after that, I was, I'd moved to LA and then would come back, uh, you know, every couple of years kind of a thing. So other than that, uh, there would be no probably reason for us to have ever met. Well, uh, I'm, 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 I didn't do this very well. My guest today is uh, my buddy Joe Coronia. He's a Kansas City comic, and uh, Joe was running the open mic when I started. And was it in Westport, Joe? It was in Westport, yeah. We were upstairs from uh, from the bar. Yeah, and uh, Joe had some good advice for me starting out, and uh, was always just, uh, Joe's Italian, and uh, if you couldn't tell, by Coronia. And... Uh, um, you were you didn't you work at a uh, or you were always hanging out at, at a uh, what was it a barber not what not a barber shop a liquor store it was a liquor store yeah, yeah. that's where all the Italians hung it, out right well my cousin owned the liquor store if you needed you know it was kind of in many ways it was like a barber shop everybody was there yeah and you know everybody sat around and argued sports and politics and anything. But it was Grand Slam Liquors, and it's home of the Extra Hot Pickle. Okay, <laughs> that's but, what they're known for—the Extra Hot Pickle. It sounds like a it sounds like a sitcom, and it always reminded me of uh, when I was a kid. My dad used to take me to this guy named Joe the Barber to get my hair cut, and uh, I was too little to really understand what they were talking about. But I always remember Joe D'Angelo being like, "You ever want anybody to take care of? You just come to Joe D. I take I have him taken care of." <laughs> that's what that oh. that's what it always reminded me of when you would talk about uh the guys at the liquor store hanging out and uh how you could get people taken care of if you needed them to taken oh, care of with so an amazing fun. haircut <laughs> yeah 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 it was so funny because they'd come in the store and they'd uh they'd go uh okay you know i want this all right that's fine and then they're walking out oh you know what i want this and it's like i don't know why it would just bother me like you know it's a liquor store. What are you going to get? Two or three things. Grab them all. Pay for them at once, and then let's go. Yeah. But at the time, it was the first liquor store on in the Missouri side when Kansas would not be have liquor on Sunday. So it was jam packed on Sundays. Right. And like I said, I don't remember anybody. I don't remember anybody's face. I don't know who they. Are. And I'd have people come up to me and go, oh, man, I know you. Uh, you sold me a half pint. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're the one. Right. I only sold, you know, I don't know. The store was jam-packed from open to close, and you're the one. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember you. Know, I remember you. And, and listeners uh, who are not familiar, Kansas and Missouri, Kansas City, there's actually two Kansas cities. The state line goes right down the middle. And so Kansas, being the conservative, shitty state that it is, typically, <laughs> uh, wouldn't sell alcohol on Sunday. So if the liquor store, what, what were you guys, like two or three blocks from the state line? 
I yeah, well, it was less than a mile. Yeah, and, and it was so, right off the it's right off the freeway too, down by the city market. Yeah, so, so if, you, if you needed liquor, you had to flood into Missouri from Kansas. So that's why the lines were out the door all all Sunday. Yeah, it was crazy. But I will tell you this: as a comic, as an actor, that's a great place to study study people. Yeah, I bet because you see all kinds. Yeah, and you're like. Hmm, look at him. I like the way he's doing that. And he's, you know, I'm going to write that down. I'm going to, I did. I had, uh, I had notes all over the place. Yeah. I worked Sometimes, at, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sometimes what? No, I was going to say, I was, I, the, one of the first plays I was ever in, I had to speak Russian. Uh-huh. And they had it phonetically out for me. And I still remember, I was, you know, Sporziki Kaki, Yazavut, Men Yazavut, Orlovia, Capitan Kariba. Now, here's the bus part. It's phonetic. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> right? So I'm right. practicing the lines. I got it in my tape recorder. This is how long ago it was. Yeah. And a, a customer walks in, and he, you know, excuse me, sir, why are you trying to learn the Russian? And I go, do you understand this crap? And he's like, <laughs> yes, I do. So I had him explain to me what the hell I was saying. And then he even said, oh, no, they said that word wrong. And yeah. I go, all right, my man, let it be. <laughs> when, uh, when did you start doing comedy then? Because I've been doing it now for over 18 years, so you were already hosting the open mic, so you'd already been around for how, how long have you been doing comedy? Oh, jeez. My first professional show was 88. Jesus, I was 13. Now, who do, you, do you remember? Like, who, who was... Was this was this in Kansas City? Yeah, it was in Kansas City at Stanford's down, or was it at the old uh, Craig or the old uh, Stan Glazier spot? Oh boy, that's the problem. It bounced around so many times. I think I just started doing open mic night when it was upstairs, and then it went down the street in Westport, and. Uh, we were down there for a little while, and it did. It's like you know, back and forth, so many different times. What's what's? I the... always love when people will say, "I hey, I saw you at Stanford's," and you're like, "Okay, wait a minute, which one?" <laughs> that could be nine different and locations. That's, it's still like that today. It's still like that today. Yeah, I know it is. They just moved it again. Is. So you it's started. You, you you started in the boom in the in the the boom the tail end of the boom of comedy, right? Because that was during the '80s. So back when middles were right. getting $1,000 an air and all that crap. and uh, yeah. Oh, right. I mean, it was just like, hey, this is a pretty good gig right here. I don't know how you, you, would, know, I, I don't know how you would make a living during that time and then go to like now where they try to treat us like such assholes. It would be hard, man. Well, that's why I do a lot of plays, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what do you, do you prefer one over the other? Do you enjoy one more than the other? You know, uh, there's something about the live audience that's just the feedback that you get. And and I do, I can't really say I enjoy one more than the other. I mean, when we had the good group of open micers, I really, really enjoyed that, now and what, I enjoyed... Who, who was that uh, that group, if you don't mind me uh, asking? What are some of those names? Well, listen, I still say, as far as I'm concerned in the comedy business, I still got three of my boys working, and I keep a close eye on all of them. 
and that's Chris Porter and Justin Leon and Tim Gaither. Thanks, buddy. Because when they were coming up, I was hosting the open mic night. And the way it would work, if you started having a little success on open mic night, then they would have you host the show. So they would ask me, who do I recommend? And I'd say, well, you know, I don't, I don't remember who was first. It was probably Chris. I think Chris was, I, I and yeah. that's the thing. And then I would explain to him exactly, here's what you do, Chris, when you open the show. You know, you do this, you do this, you do this. You know, these are the rules. These are the rules. And it's funny. I said, these are the, you know, and they thought, well, these are my rules. No, these were the rules that Andre Kelly taught me. Okay. I didn't uh, realize Andre t- was, was the one who taught you shit. God, Andre looks oh, good, man. <laughs> Andre could be could could pass for younger than me, and he's got to be okay. Yeah, he's yeah he's older than I am, so he's uh, he's what is he? He's fifty two, fifty three. Wow. But yeah, okay. I I I do consider him my mentor. Wow, I had no Everything idea. Everything that I do right on stage, Andre Kelly taught me how to do. Huh. Everything that I do wrong on stage. He told me not to do. I'm just too damn hard-headed to change my way. Well, that's cool, man. I mean, I like Andre. I see him every now and again, but and I knew you guys had a close relationship, but I didn't realize that he. I I, I didn't know that. He I, I don't was even know. Mentor. I've never. Who is Andre Kelly? Because Andre I, Kelly's uh um, he's a black dude. He's bald-headed, uh, gay dude, hilarious. He, um, he um, yeah, he's he lives out in L.A. now. And he's been out there for quite a while, and he's, you know, he's just always working. And he, uh, the thing of it is, I think I really learned from him that there's only so many shows that you can do. Yeah. So. Meaning what? Teach the people, teach the people who are coming up the right way to do this. You're not going to be able to work every week if all the comics you know, are better, that's going to be better for the whole comedy scene. And that's what I tried to do. You know, I tried to, listen, and Tim knows this, I had a really hard time convincing Stanford's to let him MC a week because they would (laughs) give me this. Oh, he talks, uh, which cracks me up when these two are doing it. You know, he talks too slow. <laughs> it's just the problem with the MCs. The MCs has to speak a little faster than that. And I'm like, forget how slow he's talking. Listen to what he's saying. The you, crowd Joe, loves him. I don't know. I don't really see what you see in the guy. I mean, I've, he's only been coming up here for, I don't know, what is it, like six or seven months. I don't even think he does any cocaine anyway. So I don't even, why are we even talking about um, it? Here's the deal. I don't know if you know this or not. I'm kind of a big deal. Uh, I love that one. That means I forgot. I was going to tell you something, but I forgot what it is. You you but were no. you were telling him that you convinced me. You can you convinced him to let me MC, even though I talked slow. Yeah, and it really was. It was so bad because I'm like going, guys, come on. He could do it. He could do the job. I was featuring on the and road before they before Burgess let me MC. And I was like, what the fuck? Come on, man. Let me do it. Right. I was yeah. like, you guys, he could do it. And it was just, it was just that whole thing. And, you know, it's, it's typical. One of those things when it happens and everybody goes, oh, yeah, I knew he could do it. And I'm like, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I remember you don't. Come on. 
No, I mean, real. And it, it was, we had a really good group of people that were at open mic night, so it was very productive. And we could tell you, hey, you know, that joke really, you shouldn't do that there. You should do that later in your set. Or, you know, that was really kind of funny. You should probably open with that. And it was a really good working relationship. It really was a great little training ground there as far as, like, having people to tell you, like, the rules. And, I mean, it, it got it got drilled into my head so much about that fucking light and what that light meant. That light means wrap it up. And if they tell you you have two minutes left, then that's how much time you do. And now that I'm out here in L.A. where nobody gives a shit about the light, <laughs> it drives me nuts. I'm like, man, that's there's a fucking reason that the show is a certain amount of time. It's because it's right. it's 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 all it's a roller coaster ride. It's supposed to you know, it, it, it's all timing, and there's so many little details, and if you don't pay attention to them, you never really get good at it. Now, I still have nightmares of DC Young and uh, Two Tons of Fun, Russ McGinnis lecturing us about do, running the light at the yeah. open mics circa. 2001 2002 yeah man it where we're, we're in, in that room especially westport when bird is running it I, I know i told the story on one of the podcasts about him saying i did 11 minutes instead of 10 and i came off stage so fired up like man i just i, I had this awesome set at least for me at the time and uh he he was and i was just on cloud nine well it lasted about five seconds because he goes get in here he goes, if I tell you to do 10 minutes, you do 10 minutes, not 11. It's not going to get you in the middle. It's just going to piss me off. <laughs> I was like, Fuck. Listen, absolutely. I wish I could remember the comic it was. It was, a, you know, it was just a road warrior. was telling me that he played Las Vegas. And he was supposed to do 20 minutes to open up for somebody. And, you know, hot crowd, everything. He did about 32 Instead of and the instead casino of twenty, manager, instead of twenty, yeah, the yeah. casino manager takes him outside and goes, "Let's look at this marquee here. Where is your name, right there?" And he said, uh, "Yeah, it's it's right there. I see it." He goes and tell me what above your name is bigger and brighter. <laughs> and he goes, "Prime rib, four ninety five." you understand what I'm saying to you, young man? And he goes, yes, sir. I will never go over my time again. Yeah. And I, I really do. I wish I knew who this guy was because he said one time he was in the middle. You know, he was going to end with these last two jokes, and one of them got such a big laugh that he left while the audience was still laughing. He was just so afraid. I'm getting off in 20 minutes. <laughs> it may have been, uh, was it Freddie DeMarco in Columbia, Missouri? Have you heard that name, John? No, well, Freddie no. DeMarco, uh, Freddie DeMarco helped me been. probably single-handedly helped me out more than anyone in my career as far as like getting the ball rolling, getting me into good rooms. Um, well, there was a story one time about I think it was Jay Scott Holman who was on stage at, and and he was a total Nazi about if you if he told you to do eighteen minutes, you did eighteen minutes, not eighteen oh five, not seventeen fifty four. You did eighteen. I mean, he was a Nazi about it, and. Uh, one night a headliner was up, and I guess he was having a good time, and he just kept going. And Freddie came up with a big wad of keys, and this is supposedly threw the keys at the at, at Jay Scott, hit him in the chest with them, oh. and he goes, "Lock up when you fucking leave." 
Dude, that's a, I mean, that's a great move. I mean, it's barring an assault charge. I well, mean, because in his eyes, every second that those kids weren't downstairs buying drinks after the show in the dance hall. Oh yeah, because that's at the VU, yeah, right? That's then, that was the money yeah, maker. Then they were, then they were, they were taking okay. money from him. And there's some other story yeah. where he was, he was, uh, this kid was like stealing from him all night. He would like take five from the register, put five, put five in the register, and put five in his pocket. And the kid was drinking, too, while he was doing it. And Freddie's watching him this whole time. And then after a while, the kid starts getting cocky, and he's not even putting money in the register anymore. He's just putting it all in his pocket. And Freddie comes over, and he goes, what, we're not partners anymore? <laughs> <laughs> You're fired, well, fuckface. You know, that's the whole thing is that's what – and listen, Andre – Andre was very tough about that whole thing, too. He's the one that got me so paranoid about, you know, you do your time because that's your time. I'll never forget one time. Uh, it was at, when uh, the club was down the street. He was running an open mic night. And this kid was real cocky, just rambling on. And by the way, he hadn't had a laugh in about five minutes and was only supposed to do three. <laughs> and uh, Andre came up on stage with, like, uh the poster for whoever was going to be in town next week. And while the guy's talking, he just walks up on stage and goes, Oh, Hey, here, I got this for you. And when the guy reaches for it, Andre snatched the microphone right out of his hand and goes, okay. our next Hey, I was going to, I was going to ask you, what do you, uh, what do you remember about Tim circa late nineties? If you will. Well, other than being a slow talker. Yeah, other than the slow I mean, talking, slow cadence. Which I okay, still well, am. Somebody all, asked me one time about headlining when I was first starting to headline, and I go, I just feature slower. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing, I don't know why or how this came about, I found out that Tim was used to wrestle. And I used to wrestle in high school, and I still follow collegiate wrestling very close. So I'm going, oh, okay. We need to have more conversations and, about that. I didn't realize how, how close you followed it. Oh, yeah. Because I don't have anybody and, to talk to about that shit. Anyway, and, sorry. And that's the thing. Every time you post a picture like you're at Nationals, I, I just, all my all I say is, you know, green-eyed jealousy right here, baby. Well, you got to come with me, man. Um, you're always welcome. There's uh, an open invite right there. Yeah. I really, I, I do, and I would just I would just love it. But, so we started talking about that. And uh, I don't know what happened. And Timmy, you're probably not going to remember this either, but something happened. Maybe, maybe you were supposed to do something and you got screwed over at Stanford's. <laughs> I know it's hard to believe. Yeah. And I like a week before, I just got screwed over. So, you know, we were kind of commiserating together. And then let's face it, when you did the crocodile that damn Steve Irwin, Crocodile Hunter. Yeah. Everybody was just like, oh, my God, this guy's so funny, blah, blah, blah. And it was a great bit. Yeah. And, I mean, it got to the point where you were sick and tired of doing it. But it's like you almost felt you had to do it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I remember that. I remember, I, I will tell you this, John, I do remember he was fearless on stage. I mean, if he would do something... And it didn't get the laugh. I, you know, he would just kind of take that deep Tim Gaither laugh and go, 
you know, people, that's a lot funnier than you're giving that credit. <laughs> Take a and nice a young pull off the straw. Which is a line that Jason Dixon yeah. gave me. And, and you know what? And as a young comic, you go, look, he may have gotten a little knocked down, but I'll be damned, he's getting right back up and he's going at him. You know, it, it's funny that you say that because you know how, how I get off stage right before I get up there sometimes, but I've realized, especially lately, that all you got to do, man, is just is just get up there. Because as soon as you do this, it's like a different person comes out, you know? It's like, it's, like, it's like two people, and that guy only comes out when it's like time to perform. It's like, oh, I got this pussy, relax. <laughs> you know, but it's a totally different uh, uh, guy, you know? Look, now we've talked about this many, the two of us have talked about this many times before, and I hope anybody listening to the podcast isn't eating right now, but both of us have a tendency to throw up before something big. Yeah. And I throw up before every opening night. Sometime during the last week of rehearsal, the tech week, and... Sometimes I will be at the theater and then throw up. A lot of times it will be like the night before or something like that. Because every time I audition for a show, I'm going, I can do this. I know I could do this. And then tech week rolls around and I'm going, oh, my God, I can't do this. What the hell was I thinking? <laughs> Why was I going to do this? Yeah, I, This is ridiculous. I've lost my – and I will talk myself into – just work myself into a frenzy. My wife and daughter have learned to just run from me when I'm acting that way because I don't make a lick of sense. Yeah. And then opening night comes, and, you know, either you get your first laugh or the audience has something that makes you go, okay, yeah, this is what we do, and we roll, and yeah. everything's okay. But you're exactly right. Once you're up there and you're doing it, it's okay. Yeah. And Henry Fonda, Henry Fonda puked until he was seventy-five, and uh, and I haven't I haven't thrown up in a, in a while to be honest with you, but um, I get uh, uh, what the heck was I going to say? Oh, I get more nervous sometimes when it's when it's when it's nothing important at all. If anything, the bigger the situation, a lot of times I'm not nervous at all. It's crazy. It's like this it's this thing that takes over. Just like when I was a kid, the very first year I wrestled, I threw up before every single tournament except sub district, district and state, which are the three biggest tournaments of the year. Right. Before which is the every ones you other one. Yeah. And before every other one I would throw up and now like if it's some stupid open mic or it's some whatever, I'll find myself just being like, What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> Why are you so nervous about this stupid show? Um and then it'll be headlining a, a you know, I was just at the Syracuse Funny Bone and I couldn't have been more calm in front of four hundred people. It was just like you know, and but it's just one of those things you just have to you know, I read and read in a book not too long ago, like you're never gonna overcome the fear to do what you do. You have to do what you do to overcome the fear. Like, you know, that's just, that's the only, that's the only way around it. There's no way around it. You just, you just get through that shit. Is it a different kind of nerves for, for stand-up versus theater or not? Yes, it is. It's funny that you say that because I, uh, look, as comics, if we butcher a joke, we've all done it and we all know how to get out of it. And sometimes you just even tell the audience. Oh my God, I totally screwed that up. And right. they laugh with you. And sometimes you could back up 
and get the joke done, or sometimes you will just mess it up so bad that you'll go, oh, hell with this, I'm going on to the next thing. Right. But when I am I'm in a play, I got other actors on stage. And I'm going to be honest, I don't give a damn if they mess up and I have to cover for them. Mm-hmm. But boy, if I mess up and they have to cover for me, right. I really, really feel like I let them down. Yeah. And I will tell you even a worse one. I just did a show for a very good friend of mine, Collins A. Selby. Uh, she's part of the uh, slightly off-Broadway theater group that I've been doing a lot of shows with. And she was directing the show. And this is the first time she ever directed me. I'm great friends with her and her family. My wife absolutely loves her. I was so worried that I was going to mess up in her show. Yeah. Because she put it together. She put all this together. And opening night came, and it was not a good opening night. Really? And I wore that all opening weekend. I just, I just felt so bad. I don't even think I talked to her after the show. Yeah. I, and I'm, I'm not like that. I stick around. I'm always the last one to leave the theater. I think I packed up my stuff and I ran out the side door like a thief in the night. I oh, man. felt so bad. I do that. I'm so embarrassed. I do that when I have when I have a show that I hate or something. I, I get the fuck out of there as soon as I possibly can. And even if I know if I kind of feel bad if I knew there were people there to see me or whatever. But uh, if I mean if they're like a real good friend, I won't take off. But if it's just somebody I kind of know and I'm like fuck this, I'm out of here. <laughs> I don't want to look at those people. I don't want to you know. And but you know those are the ones you got to stick around for too. Sometimes I had a show in, uh, and I love this story. I probably told it before, but when I was at Stanford's a couple times ago, there was this old man that came up to me after a Sunday show that I kind of hated, and he goes, "You're the best stand-up comedian I've ever seen." And I go, "Am I the first one?" And he was like, "No, but you're the best." And I hated that show, but for that old man, that was the best comedy show he'd ever seen. So sometimes, even when it's going shitty in your mind. Eh, it's not. It's it's really not. It's not as bad as you think. Sometimes. And, yeah. In hindsight, very, was was the performance as bad as you thought it was? Like in hindsight, looking back on it, it was. It was. Yeah. Well, let's put it this way. In my mind, it was absolutely horrible. It was one of the worst shows I'd ever been. Stand up, acting, anything, anything I'd been a part of. Really. But the audience. You know, they really didn't seem to notice what mistakes were made and things like that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but, it, you know, in my mind, I'm like, no, you, you, you did a horrible job. I'm totally blanking on his name, but there's a, a famous uh, theater actor um, from way back in the day. Gosh, I cannot think of his name. It's driving me crazy. But apparently he was on stage and his father just passed away or something and he saw someone in the audience that he, that looked just like him and he froze and he never did a, another play again. What was that guy's name? I've got, I'm the wrong person to Joe. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, a, a legendary no. Sir Lawrence Olivier. That's who it was. Apparently he had a, he was on stage and, and something like that happened and he froze and he walked off stage and never fucking did live theater again. <laughs> He's like, I'm done. He's like, it's just too, it's just too much for me. I would love to do a play, I man. Have... I, I want to try. I want to, I want to, before, before I get too, 
Well, here's what we'll do. The three of us will collaborate, and then we'll write a short play, maybe like 25, 30 minutes, and then we'll just rent a theater in Kansas City, run it for a week. Joe's got the connects in KC. What, what do you say, Joe? How's that sound? I would love I would love to do that. Now, the, the girl that uh, I was talking about, the girl, she's a lovely lady with three children and a husband. Collins A. Selby, I wrote a show with her that we I wrote – Two shows that they performed at the slightly off Broadway Theater. It's in Excelsior Springs. Uh, one of them was slightly called Socket to Me, <laughs> and it Socket to Me was uh, was basically a live TV show gone wrong, and it was very similar to Laugh In. And the other show that we did was called the the show, and the the show that we collaborated on was the '80s show. And I would love to collaborate and write another show. I think I think Colin Bay and I are going to write a sequel to the '80s show because you know we're we're just like Hollywood. Hell, if it sells, let's do it again. Yeah, why not? And if you had a good time doing it, and it sounds like, if, especially when you're working with other talented people, or in this case, someone you've never met before and someone you've known for 20 years yeah, almost. There you go. You know what's funny too yeah, is I, is talking about nerves and all that stuff is uh, you, Joe, Joe's a guy who beat cancer. I mean, you, you were you were really it was really touch and go there for a while for you, right? And uh, and and yeah, I, I had you I would, had a couple of uh, I mean, I was diagnosed with stage four cancer, so that's 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 very very serious. I had mantle cell, and then after that, uh, they found them. This was. Like two years later, they found a mass in my kidney and did an operation on my kidney. And uh, I started bleeding through the artery that that kidney was in. And they had to put me in a coma for uh, six days. And they, I was sedated, had no idea what was going on. They told my wife, you know, it's not looking good. Yeah. So... So you've literally stared death in the face, and live performance still scares you, is my point. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, listen, I know it's the Jerry Seinfeld line, but he said it the best, you know. People are, worst fear is public speaking, and their third, third most popular fear is death. Right. So it's like, you know, you'd rather be in the casket than doing the eulogy. <laughs> yeah, that was, and, that was a great line. And it's funny because when Seinfeld said that, you're like, eh. But, no, it, it is strange. I will say um, a lot of, and I've talked to this with other people, and, and it is. It's one of those things that it's like, okay, well, the things that bothered you about performing when you've been as close to death as I am, it's like, okay, well, come on. Yeah. Yeah, that's inconvenient. Yeah, you know what's inconvenient? Being in a coma for six days. Yeah, no that's shit. inconvenient. Yeah, you, you know a little a little Tim Gaither secret before I before I before I allow my foot to hit the the bottom step of the stage when they say please welcome Tim Gaither because that's another thing I, I was hammered into me starting out is you don't stage walk you don't or uh, what do they call it Vegas walk. You don't you don't wait oh. after they say you don't they don't you don't say their you know after after the after the MC says your name you don't wait a full minute or some shit before you come up to the stage I, I hate that shit and uh, I don't care how big a star you are it annoys me and 
if, if no matter how big I ever got, I, I like to think I would never do that. And so I try to get to the stage as soon as they say my name, you know, I should be ready to go. And, uh, so yes, befo- before I even, should. before they, before my foot hits the stage, hits the bottom step and they say, please welcome Tim Gaither out loud, but real under my breath, I'll go, that's right, you bitches. And it's like, and it's like a switch turns in me, and I'm just like, you know, it's almost like I think I may have told this already. It's like, what's his name putting his hat on backwards, you know, and over the top, he's like, all right, let's fucking do this. <laughs> it's like there's no time for fear, you know. It's like, well, let's go now, motherfucker. It's just like wrestling. You put on that leg band. It's like, well, let's do it. There's no time for nerves now. You're in this. Shit. Now, let me ask you this: Have you ever had your like, you know, you maybe it's. Saturday night second show you've been working all week and you're three minutes away from going on every you know everything is there you know it's happening and all of a sudden you just go oh my god you know I don't know my act oh yeah I have no idea Almost what, am I supposed to, what am I gonna start with what am I opening with and oh. then it's just like something magical happens again now I'm saying this I'm talking about somebody who is prepared and knows what the hell they're doing. When oh, yeah. they grab that microphone, then it's like, okay, let's start. Justin and I, I talk about it. Justin and I talk about it all the time about how right before we go on stage, we're like, shit, I don't remember any of my jokes. I don't. I'm supposed to do an hour. I'm supposed to do 50 minutes. I can't. What am I? And then you get up there and it's like, oh, that's right. Oh, and and then they just keep coming. You know, that's why when you've got your when you've when you've worked really hard on your act and it's. It's, it's, it's kind of fun when you haven't been on stage in three or four weeks because then it's almost like the jokes are new to you, too. They're fresh. Yeah. And, and then I'm just like, oh, they like this. They're going to fucking love this, you know? You it, can almost equate it to, let's say you're on a long five-hour drive. You know, the last 30 minutes, like, you're, you're almost home, and then yeah. all of a sudden you pull up in your driveway, and you're like, oh, well, we're like, I don't even remember turning left, turning right, or anything like that. You were yeah. thinking about all yeah. sorts of other stuff. And that's kind of the zone you can get into on stage where it's all natural and you've done it and it's yeah. familiar and you find yourself thinking about other stuff in your head. I try to tell myself that about, uh, I, I try to tell myself it's just like wrestling. Like it's just, it's just going to take over, you know, like somebody shoots on me. I don't think, okay, now I kick my legs back and I get my hand across his foot. You know, I don't think about that shit. I just do it. And that's the same right. thing with comedy. You just, you know, well, in, Once you've been trained, you can just do it. It's like a boxer. You throw a, you throw a punch at a boxer. I don't give a shit if he's sixty. He'll still go. He's still gonna he's slap still gonna you right dodge, in the face. Right. Well, that, with the, when you're thinking about the extra time, like in your head, when you're in that zone, it, it as a comedian, it allows you to be like, oh, maybe I want to go here right now, yeah. and then I'll come back to that. It just it gets more fun and, and more it's creative. Ama- yeah, it's know? amazing the directions you can go uh, in the three second space that you have before you have to make that decision. There's so many still forks. Laughing There's and, so many forks. Yeah. In a in a comedian's road through through a one hour or a headlining set, um, if in my but, opinion, if you're doing it right, it's not like A to B. And B that's to the C. thing. Yeah. It's like, okay, I've got these bullets. Mm, I could put this one here and this one here, and I I have to tell you, it's one of those strange things. I remember one of the strangest things that happened to me when I was doing when I was a young comic. You know, I had my set list. It was just like, joke, A, B, C, D, E. Had to be that way. Right. And then one night, something happened in the audience where I went A, B, C, and skipped D, and went to E, and then went back to D. And I go, oh, my God, 
I, I had no idea I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? And it's like, no, 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 nobody's sitting there going, oh, no, he left out that bit. Or, you know, something happens and you, there's nothing better than connecting with that audience where something happens in the crowd and then you do your bit that has to do with that and they're like, I'll be damned, he just thought of that while he was up there. <laughs> that's, that is the greatest yeah. moment. Yeah, well, that's that. That's the art of it. That's what people don't realize. That's what people are like. Oh, he's been doing that joke for years. Yeah, but it looked like he just made it up, didn't it? You know, that's the art of it. And if you're good at it, you make it look easy, so everybody thinks they can do it. And then they get up there and they have that mic in their hand. And the lights hit them in the eyes, and they shit their pants. <laughs> that's that's very true. Uh, listen, I'm going to tell you guys. The first play I did was uh, Tony and Tina's wedding, and it ran in Kansas City for over 100 performances is a very very successful run and but it was a very because it's a lot of improvisation during the show mm-hmm. like for example grandma falls during the wedding reception when the song celebration by cool and the gang is playing okay now <laughs> how we get there she falls every night at the same spot how we get there it doesn't really matter just as long as while celebration is going on, Grandma falls. Right. Okay? So there's a the really, really long rehearsal process. And while I was there, I'm talking to all these actors, and they're like, you know, they've studied here, they've studied there, they've studied here. Okay? Uh, at that time, I'd been doing stand-up for about seven years. And I'm like, why, why am I doing this with these people? They know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'm not an actor. I'm not this. And then when the live show started and something would go wrong, you could see that they'd all look at me like, okay, get us out of this. Yeah. And it's like, okay, fellas, listen to the problem, address it, and then move on. That's all you got to do. No, they would wait. And they would look at me, and it's like, well, what are we going to do? And I'd go, and then one of them came up to me and said, finally, you know, we've been doing the show for a month. Yeah, you're really, really consistent every night. Yeah. And I go, what the hell do you think a stand-up does? Right. We have to deliver the jokes perfectly every night or we don't get the laughs that we, you know, that we should. Yeah, it's all timing. That's why when I'm, when I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that I can kill and do 45 minutes and I can have a horrible set and still do 45 minutes and still do it pretty much on the nose as if I was killing, you know, because my timing's the same. I'll still pause the same. I'll even say I'm pausing because normally this is where people laugh. <laughs> you know, I'll say shit like that, you know, I mean, and you just you just get through that it. old Tim Gaither confidence <laughs> coming through again. There you go. Well, it's also because because I I only wrote like like if I was supposed to do twenty minutes, I would write like twenty minutes <laughs> exactly. So then if my, one of my jokes didn't go well, I'm like, well, I still got to pause like it did, so so I can do all my shit. Yeah, but it is it's a it's a strange thing, and and it's funny because I never realized the stuff that the actors will notice that a comic does not. Yeah. I did a show once. Uh, it was at the Coterie Theater. It was called Island of the Blue Dolphin, very famous book. Uh, that's the show where I spoke Russian, right? And sure enough, like, I don't know, one of the performances, the actors are backstage going, 
oh my god that audience was just so chatty they wouldn't shut up and i'm going <laughs> evidently you've never been on stage when they're dropping checks <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean you guys don't know what chatty is yeah that's and, it, that's... and it's just that's a different muscle. They, they, you know, I don't get a lot of the things they do. That's, they definitely did not understand. How that's one of the most challenging things about stand about headlining is that freaking check drop, man. I mean, there's about seven minutes in most crowds, no matter how hot a show is, where all of a sudden you just gotta. And I would tell myself, I was just at Syracuse at the Funny Bone, and there were great shows all week. But I was having to tell myself, um, I, I was ha- trying to tell myself, like, okay just got to ride out this five, six, seven minutes where they're going to get kind of weird. And then sure enough, right. as soon as they were done, they got right back in. It was like, you know, it was like there was a bookmark in the book or something. They're like, oh, this is where we – so I was trying to – It's a different muscle learning to yeah. block out that distraction and still – like you almost have to adjust the scale in your head. Yeah. You're like, okay, you know what? If I had done this ten minutes ago, this laugh right here would have equated – to that laugh I got seven minutes what ago. What sucks is when you don't time it right and you do some stuff that they really need to be listening to. Like I've got this like five to seven minute chunk about race that if they're not listening right, it just they they just they need to be listening. And if they're not, right. I'm, I'm just up there and I feel like David Duke. I'm like, you heard me at the beginning, right? I mean, I explained why this sounds weird now. Yeah, yeah. So, at, but you know, that's well, part of it too. Sorry if I interrupted you. I, I feel I like laugh. I might have. You know, remember, Bob Zaney, to me, was the smartest. He'd go, oh, the checks are coming out, and just start taking questions from the audience. Huh. Did you ever see him do that? No, but that's a good idea. Is that hacky? Can, yeah. Can anybody do that? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well... I mean, I mean, you know, I mean to to do that to do that somebody else that something something else some somebody else does during the check drop is that? I don't right. think so. Uh, Steve Byrne one time told me he goes he advised to do women friendly material during the check drop so that if guys are on dates and they're paying and they're the ones digging around for money, then if you're doing wom- like woman friendly jokes like about how huh. men are dumb or whatever, then right. you know it's going to kind of adjust. Yeah. You know, hopefully, uh, he told me that six years ago. So I don't know, like that. You know, if, if the social climate's changed and there's well, more I've, I've certainly women heard paying, worse ideas. yeah. But uh, it, was, it made sense, right? Yeah, sure, that makes sense to me. That's a really good idea. Huh? Maybe that's uh, you know why Steve Steve's awesome. Uh, awesome you know, there's guy, a there's a guy. few clubs that don't uh, that don't drop checks, and I'm convinced you don't have to do it. There are better other ways to do it, but I think it's. I don't know. There's obviously a reason they do it over not, but uh, it, I tell you, when they don't do it, it's awesome. Like in Vegas, they don't have a check drop. Um, there's a couple clubs that, that don't. I can't think of off the top of my head. but um, We're going to wrap it up here pretty quick, Joe, but there's a couple more things I wanted to ask you. Um, uh, who's your favorite comic ever and, and why, if that's even a question you can answer? That's one of the um, questions. Question fav- one. My favorite comic that I ever, ever Besides saw. Me. Yeah, right. <laughs> Whatever. Larry the Cable Guy, uh, Summer of 95, Stanford's Westport. I would have to say, uh, you know, I saw Bill Hicks in a very, Ooh. very tiny room. Nice. And that was, that's when you're like looking, you know, I was ready to throw my comedy notebook away and going, I suck. I will never be a comic. I heard he did that to and a you're lot just of like people. Going, yeah, and then that's when some. I had an older 
veteran comic go? You know, I even said that. And he goes, no, 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 no. You just saw like a Hall of Fame comic. You know, you could still have a nice career and not be him. Yeah. But, you know, I, I love Lewis Black. I love, I love what he does with the political scene and keeps things so topical. And what so a great dude, too. What a great person. Lewis Black is cool as shit. Now, Joe, he was he was in Kansas City a lot. I grew up in Kansas City, and before I was even old enough to go to the clubs, I remember him being at Stanford's fairly regularly. Did you ever run into him back back in the uh, back when you were working there? I, I I did a couple of times, and you know the Stanford's room. The best way to describe it would be kind of rectangular, and the audience was so close. And did you see the power? And the energy of Lewis Black bouncing off those walls was unbelievable. I tell you what, Hick- I, you know, listen, Hicks was the same way though. He really was. I tell people all the time when the Clarence Thomas hearings were going on about the whole sexual harassment, Bill Hicks got up and started talking about that, and he pulled his glasses down as Strom Thurmond and goes, Mr. Hicks, do you think you could be a United States, uh, no, uh, a member of the United States Supreme Court? And Bill Hicks went on for like 25 minutes, had minimum seven applause breaks, and then he said something that just brought the house down, and he pulls down his glasses again, and he goes, Thank you, Mr. Hicks, for your testimony. You can't be a Supreme Court justice, but if you want to be a senator, boy, you come around and you realize, oh, my God, this whole time was him testifying before Senate. Yeah, he was brilliant, man. And you're like going, that is, again, that's Hall of Fame. There are millions and millions of comics, and some of them are better than others, and some of them are even great, but that was Hall of Fame. Yeah, he, he was he was amazing. Um, he's the reason I started doing stand-up comedy. I listened to his CD, Rant in E Minor, and the next day I changed my major. I was like, I'm going to be a comedian for a living. I was like, that is the funniest guy I've ever heard, and I'd never heard of him, which means I can do this for a living, even if no one, even if I never get famous. And, <laughs> I, yeah. changed, and I changed my major the next day. I was like, that guy is just fucking... Yeah. Yeah, he was... So. Uh, he was a shit. Um, well, Joe, where can the uh, listener uh, track you down online? Or is there a certain any of your any of your plays or any of your work on on YouTube or Facebook um, or anything like that? I am going to be. This is the first time for me. I'm going to be doing a, a show at the Kansas City Fringe Festival, and the, the thing is, the dates on that are always uh, up in the air until the last second. It's something I've always wanted to do. I've never been part of it you can go to the kc fringe festival and uh my i'm in uh, all-star detectives which is a little bit of a comic book brought to life so um, we're having a lot of fun with that and then i do have to say um let me see september 15th through august 1st i will be in excelsior springs at the slightly off broadway theater and we were doing wait until dark and as always, the comic gets a chance to be in a drama. This is—I'm uh, really looking forward to that. Yeah. It's a great show. Everybody, you know, most people are familiar with the movie. That's a Hitchcock, the play, right? 
Uh, no, it wasn't Hitchcock. It, wasn't. it uh, no, it was Audrey. Audrey Hepburn is um, was the actress, and Alan Arkin was Rope, and he was the blind man. Or she was she was blind, and he is uh, a horrible person. And yes, guess who's the horrible person? You Yay, get to be the horrible person. Me. Awesome. You're good at being a dick when I, you want to be. <laughs> I, I went through a period well, where I was like, you. I don't think Joe Coronia likes me. <laughs> Because you were kind of hard on me because I was funny and you were like you were like listen this is what you got to do yeah 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 you're cute get over here fuckhead <laughs> I'm not prejudiced I hate everyone so it's fine hey this is the last question I'll ask you what what uh, what is this from this is a line from a play and and uh, you're a theater guy so maybe you'll know uh, you sock dodging old man trap what's that from. Hmm. I'm gonna have to say you've stumped the panel. I do not know. That is the line from that that uh, John Wilkes Booth used in order to shoot President uh, Lincoln, because he was a he was a theater guy and he knew that play. And the line in the play was "You sock dodging old man trap," and it always brought the house down. And when he when that line came and uh, brought the house down, that's when he opened the door and popped him in the head. So yeah, well you know, well known day, fact. Tim, I, Thank you. I have to tell you, there's not a better way to end a podcast interview <laughs> than bringing up the assassination of a president. So which was worse? You really got this which, thing down. Yeah, and it's, that's nothing compared to the stuff Trump's going through right now. So I mean, let's. <laughs> yeah, hold on. Well, Joe, thanks, uh, thanks for coming on and, and sharing with us, kind of giving the listeners some insight back into. A, a youthful Tim Gaither. Yeah, Joe, we were gonna have uh, we were gonna have you on for like fifteen or twenty minutes, but this has been like a, a podcast in itself. So what we might do is uh, John and I might talk about some other stuff and put this on next week. We don't know. We'll figure it out. But uh, it's gonna be on either this week or next week. One of the two. It's gonna it was... it, it's gonna be on this week. There's okay. no doubt. No doubt in my mind. It's going <laughs> okay. on this week. One hundred percent. Well, all I could tell you is, John, you do a great job keeping Tim in line. And I gotta be honest. <laughs> You could do better. You really could. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you need to, week by so week, sweet. it's all about improvement, you know, and feedback. Which you, we, you need to leave Tim and, and, you know, go on to somebody with some talent, you know. This I'm, is Gaither. What the hell is he? He talks so damn slow. What good is he? I knew he That's why be nice to me I the dropped time. the play seat. It's, it, this was the bridge between you and I working together in the future. And then, yeah, we'll bring <laughs> Tim along to be in the play, sure. But I'm seeing a coma-based play. You slip into a coma. Tim and I are your best friends in your dream. And then all of a sudden, it, play gets funny for about 18 minutes. Then it gets weird because <laughs> we, we give Tim a monologue. So that way there's extra pressure on him just to boost up his anxiety before opening night. What, how does that sound? Well, listen, all kidding aside, you guys want to collaborate on a show, you let me know. And uh, I, I got a good I. I got some folks that would probably give us a little space to, if nothing else, workshop it and see what the hell we got. Oh, it would be fun. And yeah. I'm serious about the monologue, Tim. You're four minutes minimum. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I welcome the challenge. Well, thank you, buddy, for coming on. We really appreciate it. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Thanks, Joe. Hey, keep up the good work, and you know I'm listening to Again, thank you, Joe, for coming on. That was great and learned a lot about Tim. That's like he just, uh, you know, when you when we bring on the old friends, you get you get some good stories. 
Yeah, yeah, I like talking to Joe. He's a uh, he's he's a good. You can you can tell somebody who uh, he's got. I don't know if he's ever done radio, but he he would be good on radio. He's very like deliberate in what he says. He's like, let me tell you something. <laughs> you could tell he's a performer. Well, those little things, yeah. yeah, those little things make people easier to listen to. You know, and he's good at it. Yeah, and you can't teach that. You can't. There's some things you can't teach. So, yeah, it was awesome. Now, what uh, what capacity? capacity was he working at the clubs was he like a manager there or was he just strictly no he was a comic and he just ran the open mic um i'm sure they paid him some little something but it was mainly just out of the goodness of okay his heart. okay i yeah. wasn't sure if he like was a waiter there bartender a lot no. of, back then you know a lot of people sometimes you know right no just a both. comic and an actor and uh liked liked teaching like teaching aspect of it you know and there's not enough of that anymore you know, that the finer points and the little things, the reason why you do things, why you don't wear shorts and why you wear a, why you drink out of a glass instead of a bottle and little things that make you look more professional, you know? Uh, the he glass out of the bottle, is that something? Uh, there was a guy named named Herb when I was starting out. The guy, I mean, he was like from... Sorry about the sirens. That's all right. It, um, there was a guy named Herb start when I was starting out, this old guy that used to stand in the back at Stanford's, and uh, he really liked me, and he goes... Uh, he goes, you're very funny, but don't don't take a water bottle on stage. You look like a bum. Use a glass. And I never forgot that. And I it's, try to never use a bottle of water on stage. It's weird. Yeah, because now that you mention it, for me, whenever I picture you on stage, big laugh, big laugh. You, you do that pause. You got your glass with the straw, and you'll just take a small, like, yeah. little pull, and then just set it back It's down. a rhythm thing, too. And when I have a bottle of water, it's not the same rhythm. Yeah, you got to, like, untwist the cap. Like, I mean, there's yeah. some spill issues. And it sloshes yeah, and, yeah. and all that. I'm very particular about my ice ratio and uh, <laughs> because it keeps the straw just where I want it and all that stuff, you know. So, yeah, I'm a Nazi about that stuff. I, I was going to ask you because, you, you, know, uh, you know, it was a good weekend in Syracuse, and, you know, you get off the stage and you're – performing like you said on that sunday show it's packed packed 400 people you feel like a star and a celebrity after the show is that something like would you want to be a full-time celebrity like that or like the, the cash me outside girl like you know <laughs> would you want nine million people you know i want people to show up at the shows i want people to come to the shows and and be like this guy's funny and 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 pay you know buy tickets to come see me and all that of course um but it's funny once i get once I step off that stage, like walking through the showroom, it's hard for me to even really look at anybody. I just kind of look down. And it's not like a snobby thing by any means. I just, there's something about it when I'm done. I'm just kind of shy for a second. That's, I feel it. That's common. Yeah. I feel Is that common? Amongst okay. comedians. Yeah. yeah. And then I get out there and, uh, but to answer your question, no, I don't, I, I wouldn't, I would love to be Brian Regan famous where he like makes tons of money and people know him and he's well respected and has tons of fans, but he can walk down the street and nobody really knows who he is or bothers him or, you know, I know a guy that we both know. I'll, I'll just say nameless, but, uh, he was on a show for six or seven years and had a lot of viewers and it got popular enough. He had a couple of kids. He decided to move back to long Island and in doing so he would sing like, you know, I can't really even go to the grocery store without two or three people wanting to take a picture mm-hmm. or like talking about the show to me. Sure. And after th- two or three years of that, he just came back to LA. Yeah. And you could be a nice guy 98 times out of a hundred and two times you're being a dick. That's what people remember. And that's the story that gets around a lot of times. Um, oh, and that's what I was going to say about Lewis black when I was, when we were talking to Joe is that, uh, 
he is he was the best example for me of how you can become huge and still be a really nice person and treat everyone with respect you know from the from the busboy to the waiter to the you know it, just because somebody can do something for you doesn't mean that's who you're nice to and fuck this guy i've heard comedians say I don't have to be nice to the server. They're just bringing me my drinks. And I wanted to go, are you fucking kidding me? Right. <laughs> that, that's the, that's, that's what you do, man. You're just, you're not, especially nice to the smallest. It also tells so me, to speak, it also people. tells me you've never had a shitty job before. Yeah. You know, to make a comment like that, you're like, oh, like you never had a summer job. And it was like, yeah, that's like, somebody yeah, whose parents you. paid for everything. I wanted to ask you, he mentioned the crock bit. What was the crock bit? This was like, it sounded like this was like your opening, like Tim Gaither's in the house. Here comes the crocodile bit. Everyone's waiting for it. Uh, the crocodile hunter. It was a bit about, I did three different characters. I did like an Indian character and the Australian and I did a black guy. Like if he was on the safari, it was pretty damn hacky. But at the time, at the time it was good and fairly non-hacky because he was, you know, it was when his show was on and all that. But uh, I did kind of become known for this great crocodile hunter closer <laughs> that I had. Um, and I, I think I could probably do it if I had to, but I would feel like such a dickhead doing it. It'd be like finding <laughs> it, it, it. It's like finding it in the attic in a treasure chest. Like, oh, I forgot about it. Let me blow off the dust and yeah. put this old joke to, back I, on I'm going to try to do it on the way home today. He's not He's not alive anymore. In so traffic. Some of the references probably aren't any good. And like, oh, yeah. Now I did this dead. thing where I was like, I was like, he needs a black guy as a partner, and I was like, <laughs> God dang it, how did it go? See, that's why I wanted, to, I wanted to find. He's out. like, man, where I'm from, you see a snake like that, you better, you better run or smash his ass with a brick. <laughs> like, there it is, the smash his ass with a brick. But yet, move, and then I pull out a gun. And I was like, <laughs> it's pretty racist, actually. <laughs> <laughs> No, you know, because all black guys have guns. You know, I don't know if you all, know that, they're Caesar, but they're well, all packing every I, I single one of them. When they're hunting for crocodiles, <laughs> even on the Crocodile Hunter show, yeah, I'm sure most of the, the, the aborigines, it, it, everyone else, have guns. Yeah. Especially if you're around crocodiles. Yeah, I don't know about the aborigines having guns. But anyway, let's wrap this bitch up. Okay. Guys, again, <laughs> <laughs> this is a fun episode. I really... <laughs> I'm telling you, we should have just done two of them. No, nope, no, nope, this Let's, was the way to go. All right, we're going to stop the recording. And, yeah, uh, here, after I plug Making It Happen coffee. again. Guys, go to Making, M-A-C-A-N, it happen.com. Um, and then also laughprints.com. Uh, the show, along with the other show that I produce, Sportsaholics, as well as another really funny show, um, no, no Comedic Value. Uh, the three shows as of now and a growing I was talking to a couple other people, but we're going to try to kind of lump some shows together. So it's like a one-stop shop. You can go to laughprints.com and be like, oh, here's four shows that I can listen to that, you know, are funny and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And then also myself personally, if you live in the Pacific Northwest, Northern California, Oregon, um, I'm doing seven shows in seven days in and around everywhere in between Seattle and Eureka. Cal- or Salinas, California. So that will also be at laughprints.com, L-A-U-G-H-P-R-I-N-T-S. And yeah, and go to timgathercomedy.com and like us and uh, follow us and make nice comments. And I wanted to say that I hope Tiger Woods makes a freaking comeback. I'm a sucker for comebacks. Everybody should want the guy to make a comeback. Just because everybody has demons, we've all done shit, 
and you know, I love that stuff. Have you ever seen a movie called The Champ? Do yourself a favor, listeners. Check out a movie called The Champ with Ricky Schroeder and, uh, fuck, I forget the guy's name, but with Ricky Schroeder, John Voight, and uh, it is a great movie, and if you don't cry, there, there's something broken in you, but it's a great movie, but be prepared to cry, because talk about comebacks, and uh, yeah, so make a, make, make a comeback, Tigger, okay? Number Do four, your thing, buddy. N- number 14's done, right? It's done. We're out. Take care. God bless all of you.